All right, good evening. We're back again Wednesday for another meditation Q&A session. We have ever and again more people signing up for the at-home meditation course. This is a chance for some of them to ask questions if they have in the middle of the week in between sessions. We have a a weekly meeting with each at-home meditator, and they can ask questions then. But sometimes it seems they come on here and will ask, ask questions they forgot to ask. And then, of course, all the people who've done the at-home course or those who haven't but are interested come here to ask questions. So the way this works, there's... You may have noticed you can't see my face. You can't see me. You can't see Shraddha. You can't see anything except the main screen the text screen and that's on purpose because the way this works is you're encouraged to close your eyes bring your mind to the present moment you're asked not to chat not to use the chat for chatting the chat is actually for asking questions if you have a question Open your eyes, type your question in, and close your eyes again. We're meant to try to take this opportunity to practice together, to cultivate mindfulness, clarity of mind, purity of mind, to cultivate good habits together. And so it's a special Dhamma session. It's not a an intellectual Dhamma session. It's not about asking questions for your intellectual edification. The criteria for whether we're answering questions is based on a simple question of whether the answer to that question will help that person in their practice. And it's up to Shraddha the burden is on her to decide. She's the first first ranks, front line ranks. She gets to decide whether that's a question that the answer will help the person who asked it. And then if she asks it, and I still don't think that it's important to answer, I might say I pass. We'll try to be generous with with we have an hour, so try to be generous as far as time permits in answering questions. Another thing that we ask is that you try to be respectful. So when you ask a question, make sure that your grammar is the best you can do, that you're not sloppy or lazy. I leave it up to shred dive. Someone has been disrespectful, has been negligent in their wording and overly sloppy. And it's clear that they, it's not that they don't understand English, they just didn't put any effort into the question. That's a sign that maybe they're not ready to appreciate the answer. But of course, if your English is not, English isn't your first language, that's totally understandable. Again, we'll try to be generous. We're here to be kind and generous as best we can. To give, to share. But two things, two things that you might want to keep in mind is that a lot of answers are going to be simply that you should read the booklet 
that we have. We have this booklet on how to meditate. It's I wrote it, but it's, a lot of it is just verbatim what I was taught, translated from Thai. And so it basically sums up the practice that we follow in the basic steps. So the first thing to note is that you might just get an answer. Well, I'd recommend you read the booklet because you probably haven't if you're asking this. And the practice that's in the booklet very well might help you overcome the problem that you're facing or find an answer to your question. The second thing to keep in mind is a lot more of your questions can be answered through doing an actual course in meditation if you never have or if you've done it in a different tradition a different spiritual path you might want to consider doing an at-home meditation course we offer that through our website where we meet once a week using Skype this program called Skype it's a video conferencing program we don't use video you don't need a camera just audio and we go through more advanced techniques. We, we slowly advance you through a meditation course with a lot of stuff that's not in the booklet. And a lot of questions can be answered in the sessions or just through the practice that you do on your own. We get a lot of late, late, later in the course, a lot of your questions are just answered by meditating. I guess the third thing I could say is that our center is opening again on a limited basis. We're going to invite Canadian meditators if you're in Canada and you're interested in coming to meditate. We're accepting up to two people. We ask that you uh, make sure that you haven't exposed yourself to the coronavirus so that you don't share it with the other people here. So to the best of your ability, your knowledge, you don't have it. And then uh, take best of care not to spread it, not to bring it. And while you're here, you have to try and be cleanly and careful about spreading germs, sharing germs. But you could come and do an intensive course if you're really brave. Where you stay with us and feed you, house you, teach you all for free. Everything's free here. And that'll answer, that should answer most important questions. Sometimes it might give you more questions as you go deeper, but a lot of the basic questions will be answered. So apart from that, and even with all that, we're still going to answer people's questions here. So if you have questions, feel free to open your eyes and then ask them. If you don't have any questions, we ask that you take part in this session by meditating with us. Close your eyes. Take up the present moment as an object. All of the experiences, physical, mental. And remind yourself, it is what it is. This is this. Find a word for it. Note it. Move on. Shraddha will be asking questions. I'll be answering them. You can just keep meditating. If we have questions, I'm ready. In order to observe something, we suspend judgment. We don't say it is bad, but do we mark it as unwholesome if it is? Do we need the intention to eradicate it? 
So let's think, what would it mean to mark it as unwholesome? You would be, I guess you would mean you would note it as unwholesome, right? You would say to yourself, that's unwholesome. But how do you know it's unwholesome? Because you've read about it being unwholesome? Well, that's not the goal, right? That's not good enough. Understanding that something is unwholesome comes as a result of the practice. So you saying that it's unwholesome isn't going to have any beneficial effect. I mean, maybe in the preliminary sense. Oh yeah, don't get don't get caught up in anger. Don't get caught up in greed. It's a means of helping you to to be careful in your noting. It's not going to solve the problem. So we note things as they are, uh, objectively, because not because we don't discriminate, but because we want to be able to discriminate. We want to know whether things are wholesome or unwholesome. But that knowledge comes from observation, from objectivity. It's like you're in a lab. You, you, you can't use the conclusions as a part of your study. And then the intention to eradicate it, it, yeah. So if it is referring to the experience you just had, it's already gone. Only lasts a moment. But more likely it refers to the, to what, right? The anger? I suppose it's anger we, we think of, or, or addiction. You want to eradicate the addiction. Well, addiction isn't a thing that exists. Addiction is a collection of moments that are gone as soon as you realize they're there. By the time you realize they're there, they're already gone. By the time you're going to note them, they're already gone. They've, they've eradicated themselves. What we try to eradicate is the underlying tendency to give rise to those states. And underlying tendencies are caused by what? Are caused by ignorance, delusion, wrong view, which of course is eradicated by what? By wisdom, by knowledge, by clarity of mind. And that's why we practice the way we do. We don't so much suspend judgment, I think. We, we note when we're judging as well. We're just trying to see clearly. Monte, what should I label when seeing I object, I consciousness, feeling, or thought? Well, sometimes you'll notice the eye, sometimes you'll notice the ob object, sometimes you might notice the eye consciousness. It's all just seeing. Seeing is how you encapsulate it all. Of course, if there's thinking, you should note thinking. If there's feeling, you should note feeling. Note whatever's clearest. Is there a way to stabilize mindfulness? So mindfulness, mental state lasts for a long time, longer time. No, mindfulness lasts only a moment. All you can do is increase your inclination to be mindful, the, the mind's habit, inclination towards being mindful. And you do that by cultivating it as a habit becoming more inclined, more accustomed to it. And also by seeing more clearly that the truth of thing, the truth of reality, which inclines you more towards mindfulness anyway. Mindfulness isn't a thing that lasts, it's a moment. What is the best way to start meditation for people who are not used to it? 
well, you should you should meditate on the things you're not uh, on the not the being not used to it, because that might mean that you're agitated or bored or uncomfortable, and you should be mindful of all those things. But yeah, the booklet talks about some of that. Of course, you could also do a meditation course with us. We have at-home courses. That's the best way. You do it with a teacher. You're more inclined to do it. You're more motivated, and you get better at it because you have advice, you have support. It's much better than doing it on your trying to learn on your own for most people. How do you find inner peace? Well, peace is is in many ways just the absence of war. You know, people will say it's not just the absence of war. In many ways it really is. And and you have to you have to broaden your definition of war. So thinking in a in a worldly sense, right? It's not that ending war isn't enough, it's that you really have to understand it's about ending violence, really. I mean I guess the point is yeah, it's not just ending war, it's ending violence. But it's ending the opposite of peace, really. Because peace can be varied to some Well, peace doesn't depend upon surroundings. That's the point. When you give up the violence, you give up the reaction, you have peace. You give up the clinging, to put a fine point on it, when you give up attachment anisito javiharati when one dwells independent not depending on anything this will make me happy that will make me happy when you give up all of that you're independent not clinging to anything in the world that's how you find inner peace it sounds nice, and then the question, of course, how do you do that? Well, really, that's what we're trying to teach here. That's what the booklet is for, that's what these courses are for. we got a program if you want to believe us, if you want to give us the benefit of the doubt, we got something we could show you that might help, you might find leads you closer to inner peace. Monte, the next questions are not about meditation practice, but I'll ask them for this side. How can we determine which crimes and misdeeds in our past, specifically before discovering Buddhism, we should confess to? Well, confessing is... I mean, I don't know what exactly you mean confessing. Who are you going to confess to? And, and what do you mean by confessing? We don't have confession in Buddhism. I mean, monks have confession, actually. But it's a monastic thing. I'm assuming you're not a monk. And of course, you're not talking about things you've done as a monk, which is the only thing you're supposed to confess. But that's just a a tool. And it's a fairly crude one at that. Uh, the 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 ultimate reality is you, you you've done something wrong there's no there's no undoing it you can't undo it and you shouldn't try to you should try to face the consequences and you should try to change you should apologize when it when the when the occasion arises for those people who are feel who feel hurt who feel wronged by you if they still feel wronged by you apologizing to them is a great thing so 
It's not so much about confessing, but apologizing in Buddhism is a great thing. We always apologize to each other when we do a course. The tradition is at the end of the course you apologize to your teacher for anything you might have done wrong. And then your teacher turns around and apologizes to you in the same way. If I've done anything wrong, there's no ego. And there's no, yeah, well, you're the student, you have to apologize to me. No, you apologize to me, I apologize right back to you. We're, we're both fallible. Apology is an important thing. Because we shouldn't hold on to things, right? We shouldn't hold on to things we've done. We shouldn't hold on to things other people have done. We want to move past it. We want to move forward. We don't want to ignore it so it happens again and again and again. But we want to work with each other. That's why we confess so that we can get help from each other. That's why we apologize so we can realize that we're holding on and that we can change our mind so that we let go and move on. But things you've done, you've done them, they're, they're done and gone. There's no, there's nothing you, there's no benefit to going back to them. Atita nonwa kameya, don't bring up the past. Don't dredge it up, it's gone. What should one focus on during meditation? I understand breathing is a start, but for further, more developed practice, what should one focus on? So you've most likely not read the booklet. I recommend you read our booklet because it's probably not the same as what you're thinking about meditation. And then you understand what we do. I can't offer you advice on anything else. So that's where I would start if you're interested in what we do. And then if you want to learn further practices in our tradition after you've read that, you can do an at-home course or even in the future potentially come and do an intensive course at our center. That's how you'd develop further. When using the mantra, how do you prioritize when there is too much phenomena? Sometimes hearing and thinking tend to clash and there is too much going on. Well, you can always note overwhelmed if, everything, if it feels overwhelming, but otherwise you just pick what's clearest. It's not magic that you have to catch everything. Just trying to set your mind in, in a mindful way, an objective way, so... By noting things in the present, it helps build that clarity of mind, that habit that helps evoke a mindfulness state. You can't force it to come by noting everything. It's not like a video game or something. Just try and get your mind in the right mode, the right mood, the right state. Pick whatever's clearest. Can a lay person manage to end all of life's sufferings by meditating, or rather to stop suffering from them? We should maybe add this to the frequently asked questions. It's not directly a meditation question, but boy, it's asked a lot. Yes, you don't have to be a monk. I guess what it's asked is because I'm a monk, and people wonder whether they have to be like me, and you certainly don't. What does it mean to be a monk? Well... I suppose it means less now than it used to. I don't want to diminish the greatness, the, you know, the wonder of being. I, I, I appreciate very much the monastic life, but it's not the most important thing by any means. 
are the heart practices, Brahma Viharas, Asamata, or Vipassana practice? So the object of the Brahma Viharas are, are beings, and beings are concepts, and because beings are concepts, it can't help you to see impermanent suffering, and I can't help to see you then help you to see the nature of reality, impermanent suffering, and non-self. Instead, you'll see things that are stable, satisfying, controllable, and so it's samatha, not vipassana. I I don't want my at-home meditation course to end, and can't come to Canada during the pandemic. Is it possible to do an intensive course at home? or continue to meet and learn from you once it's done. So, first of all, the feeling of not wanting something to end, that's, that's getting caught up in the future. You're going to have to come to terms with that. It sounds like this course that you're doing hasn't ended, so you're not present, you're now living in the future. Although maybe it has ended, or maybe it's ending now, I don't know. Uh, the second thing I'd say is that the next step, if you can't do an intensive course, is to learn how to do it on your own. In many ways, in the not in many ways, some in some ways, let's say part of the benefit of the at-home meditation course is like a Dumbo feather. You ever saw that old movie Dumbo? It's a feather that. He has this feather and it helps him fly, but he doesn't actually need it. So there's not it's not really something you need to meet with a teacher once a week, but boy, does it help your practice, right? So the next step is to learn to be independent. Anisito javiharati. To dwell independent. Can you do it without a teacher? That's your next challenge, right? Every week there's a new challenge. Well, the next challenge is... Do it without the teacher. As far as doing intensive courses, I'm reluctant because of the intensive nature and it goes beyond what we try to accomplish in the at-home course. Unless I know you well and you have some, maybe some experience doing intensive courses, I mean, we'd have to talk. I'm reluctant to do it. For your first, uh, for your first intensive course in our tradition, it's not something that's recommended. Maybe if someone had a, you know, if someone had practice in meditation for years or something, or maybe more also important if they have a place, like some people have talked about, a monastery close by them, where they can go and and, and from there we can do we can meet. Once every day. It's also hard to schedule because I have already a fairly full schedule. And then every day to have to meet one person, we have to fit it in somehow. And then if more than one person does it, you know, it's easy when we're here. We can do them, everybody in a row. One person, meet with one person, and then they get the next person. If we're trying to schedule all that over the internet, it gets more complicated. That's not the main reason we should. It's just more that it's not really the kind of thing you want to do uh, without a stable and, and controlled environment. Because it's quite uncontrolled. You know, the states that you go through can be quite wild. I mean, most likely what's going to happen is people will try to do it and then halfway through they'll stop and that's discouraging. It's hard to do without a controlled environment.
if I desire to accomplish a goal later in life, is that desire healthy? There's no such thing as healthy desire. No such thing. But you don't have to ask me that. Do some meditation, study the desire, learn about it, and you'll see for yourself. You'll, you'll just start letting it go. You'll be less inclined to worry about wanting to do things in the future. It's just such a stressful way of living. This question is very similar to question from, or question is not similar, but you had answered the question earlier. Is it necessary to enunciate the world to pursue enlightenment, or uh, is it possible to be involved in the system while having a full spiritual awareness disposition? So there's two ways of renouncing. You can renounce physically, which is what I've done as a, in becoming a monk, that sort of thing. And then there's renouncing it mentally, which anyone can do. You don't have to become a monk. And the first, well, well, the first is not necessary. The second is necessary. So it depends what you mean by renounce the world, and it depends what you mean by being involved in the system. Being involved physically, sure, that's possible. Being involved mentally, can't do it. If you're mentally invested in the system, you're never going to have a full spiritual awareness disposition. In fact, I would say, and, and well, what the tradition says is that once you become fully enlightened, you can't do the former either. You just have to leave. You can't even be involved in it physically. You're just not inclined to. We just can't. Monte, what is clear knowing Sampajanya? Sampajanya is a is a I don't probably talk about it enough. It's a partner to mindfulness or sati, what we call sati. So sati is remembering or reminding yourself. So in some sense, it's more pra more the practical side. It's what you do. Sampajanya is sort of the result. I mean, it, the commentaries talk about it as being wisdom. But why the Buddha used sampajanya instead of panya is sort of to give a flavor to it that it's the clear awareness, the clear state of mind, the clarity, the, um, the, the pinpointed nature of the mind where it, it's able to zoom in and focus and see things so clearly, see things as they are. So it's the result of mindfulness, really, or it's the accompanying quality that that arises based on the practice specifically it means seeing the three characteristics but you don't have to think too much about them it's good to understand them but they're really just seeing things as they are and, and as a result letting go of your delusions of things being stable, satisfying, controllable, me, mine, etc. Give up all that delusion when you see clearly. Chanting a mantra, should I try to attempt the original Pali or do it in my native English? I guess it depends what kind of mantra you're talking about. If you mean the mantra that I talk about in the book, uh, it should be in your native language for sure. 
if you mean a mantra like Sambhisatta Sukita Huntu or something like that, the Pali can be useful. English is still, or your, whatever your native like, yeah, native English is also fine. I mean, I don't really encourage mantras outside of. No, that's not fair to say. I think things like Sambhisatta, may all beings be happy. I would still use English. The only way I'd use Pali is if you're really fluent in Pali and understand what it means. It can be good then. Okay, the next questions are not about meditation. I mean, the, some of the early ones were not either, but... Uh-oh. You've run out of good questions? All right. What's up? What What's up, people? I'm, we must have asked. We must have answered all the good questions, and people are just—they're yeah. just—they know it all now. So we don't need to answer anymore. We can just go. We can stop early because we've done our job. That's great. All right. Well, let's look at some of the other questions that people have. They know all the good answers already. What, what, is the best, what is the best way to live within capitalist society and make ends meet if we give up materialism? How do we get by? Hmm. Yeah, make me work. I have to think about this one. Well, there's nothing about mindfulness that says you can't make ends meet. Not unless you go all the way and, and take it to its final result. But at that point, there's no concern in the mind about living in a capitalist society or making ends meet. If you starve to death, there's no concern about that. There's no concern about anything anymore. But that would be, you know, that's really gone. You know, that that's where you've... It's the equivalent of graduating from the universe. Like if the universe were something that to be understood, you you've understood it. You've just you're so beyond that. You're you're. It's like you've you've. I mean, it's just to, trying to explain, trying to pass on how how profound it is. Like it's not something you have to ask yourself whether you want or not. It's a very profound thing where you've had enough of everything. It's a very hard thing to do, very rare thing. But apart from that, everyone who practices mindfulness has to make ends meet, has to have a livelihood. Basically, what I do is sort of a livelihood as well. People feed me, so I teach. I teach, so people feed me. I'm supported to live because I support other people. Or it's a mutual thing. So livelihood in some sense is just that, it's mutual. You help other people, so they help you, and helping is a part of our life. Doing work is a part of our life, because life can't exist and can't continue without it. I can't give you specific advice, you just try to be mindful and apply mindfulness to whatever it is you do you'll do it better probably get probably find it easier to make money to live harder to get rich i suppose but easier to live because you're smarter wiser more clear-headed more level-headed more patient more peaceful The next question, I couldn't understand, but maybe you you would. Monte, when I forget my doubts about meditation, I understand it, or I simply forget. Yeah, no clue. I don't. It's not even a question, but I don't know what the question would be there. 
how do we investigate the body using four elements? Well, the st watching the stomach rising and falling is the air element. When you walk, you're aware of all the elements, or three of them anyway. You don't have to worry too much about the elements. You, you can understand that that's what we're doing when we say rising, falling. When we say stepping right, stepping left, we're using the elements as an object of meditation. It's a bit misleading to say we investigate the body. We don't really investigate anything. We, or maybe it's a way of describing it, I don't know. But you have to be careful not to fall into the idea that we're going to use a magnifying glass and try to see things that we wouldn't normally see. We're just trying to put ourselves there and observe. We're much more about observing than investigating. And we're much more about cultivating clarity of mind than about worrying what we might see. Hmm. Oops. How much meditation a day is enough? Well, there's, it's hard to say. It depends where you're at in your practice. Depends how how proficient you are at it. Do some every day. I think if you get proficient at it, two hours a day is a good sort of base. It really depends, you know. How much is enough? Well, really, there's no there's no min there's no maximum. If you really want enough, you have to be doing it all day and all night. So the answer, the answering question would be enough for what? Enough to be enlightened tomorrow? Enough to become enlightened next week? Enough to become enlightened next life? Enough to eventually in some lifetime become enlightened? There's different answers for each of those. Words are essentially concepts. How is it that noting helps facilitate mindfulness rather than error? I don't use the word noting for this because this sort of question comes up. I use the word mantra because I think it helps people understand what exactly we're doing. Because if I asked you, do you not think mantra meditation brings the mind closer to the object? You'd probably say, oh yeah, well that's true. So what's the difference? There, I mean, there really isn't a difference. The technical answer to your question is that while words are concepts, absolutely, realities have names. And our mind works in that way. When we name something, we associate the name with the object. And concepts have names, and realities have names. That's why there's two kinds of concepts. One kind of concept is the name, and one kind of concept is the object. Namapanyati and Aramanapanyati, I think, is the difference. So Namapanyati is the name, but but ultimate realities have names. And so the the important thing to avoid error is not to worry about the name being a concept, but to worry about the object, the thing that you're naming. So if you say to yourself, cat, 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 it's not going to be an error, it's just your object is not going to lead to enlightenment. In fact, I think the whole, your whole question is a bit odd because leading to error, what do you mean error? No, a, a word will always bring you closer to, a name will always bring you closer to the object. So it won't lead to error, it'll either lead to samatha or lead to vipassana, it'll lead to tranquility or it'll lead to insight. 
And that depends not on the usage of a name, it depends on the, the thing that you're naming, the thing that you're coming closer to, the thing that you're focusing on. Because when you use the name, it will evoke the awareness of the object. I mean, that's not, that's not theory, that's what happens. That's how mantra meditation works, that's why it's been around for thousands of years, that's why people in all religious traditions still use it. Because things have names. Which meditation is better, samatha or vipassana? Am I wasting my efforts if I do one or the other? Well, so samatha meditation is is differentiated because it doesn't lead to vipassana. Vipassana tends to have samatha in it. But the point is, and the differentiation is made, because there are some meditations, as I just said, wherein the object is not a reality. And if the object is not real, if it's conceptual, like a cat or the Buddha, then it'll, it, it doesn't have the potential to lead you closer to insight. It has the potential. The, the potential to calm the mind down which can be useful later for practicing insight so there are two paths to enlightenment one is where you practice samatha first a meditation based on a concept and then you later use that power of mind to cultivate mind to cultivate vipassana and the other is you start practicing both vipassana with some sense of samatha in, in with it but without the deep tranquilizing states that are involved with focusing on a conceptual object. And then the next few questions I'm not really sure about, but I'll ask them. Can you awaken to blissful love through meditation? If you practice that sort of meditation, you probably could. There's many different types of meditation. It wouldn't last, though. The problem with that is it's not permanent. So it will come and then it will go. And because it's associated with liking, love is, is a sort of a enjoyable state. There will be craving for it and there will be disappointment when it goes. That's why it's not the goal of Buddhism. Not because it's a bad thing necessarily, it's just... It's not a... Not the... Not an ultimate goal. What vitaka and vichara are? How do you notice their effect? What's the difference about practicing with or without them? I'm going to pass on this one. It's too technical. I don't think the answer is all that useful. I'm not sure if there are many good questions left. All right, well, let's finish. This sounds like today was uh, everyone was satisfied probably they were mindful which is great we had a chance to meditate together well, we don't have to it's not a bad thing we can just spend the last 10 minutes meditating together let's just quietly sit here for another 10 minutes thank you all sadhu and well I'll say that at the end let's do 10 minutes now and then at the end we'll all say sadhu which is good
สาธุ Thank you all. Wish you all peace, happiness, and freedom from suffering. Thank you, Shraddha, for your help. May the goodness that you've gained today be a benefit to you as well. Good night, everyone.